Do you suffer with chronic pain? Are you taking risky over-the-counter or prescription anti-inflammatory drugs? Well, there's a better natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals, Liquid Turmeric Liposome Complex. Future Farm's Liquid Turmeric with liposomes and nanotechnology delivers maximum absorption for effective pain relief. Sourced and manufactured in the United States, this product contains 1,600 milligrams of curcumin and powerful antioxidant properties. This plant-based curcumin has been shown to reduce inflammation, block proteins that trigger swelling, and intercept inflammatory pathways, significantly decreasing inflammatory response. Responses. Future Farm offers some of the most innovative products I've seen in quite a while. I use them, prescribe them in my practice, and I'm proud to recommend them to you. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuturephafarm myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman liquid turmeric liposome complex is all natural, science-based, and works without adverse side effects. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking about uh, cosmetic breast surgery, uh, especially in light of the fact that breast implants are under federal review after reported illnesses. That's happening uh, as we speak uh, this week, uh, and there's a uh, report that eventually will be generated uh, by the Medical Devices Advisory Committee on General and Plastic Surgery Devices Panel. That's an entity where the uh, rule on uh, devices and a breast implant is a device. Um, so, uh, Dr. Bartsish, I want to talk a little bit about your background because I think your background is interesting uh, because uh, we actually share some commonalities. Uh, both of us were science nerds in high school. You took mm-hmm. biology, you know, in high school. And then I, you, you and I seem to have gotten a little burnt out on it. Uh, we went to college. We studied the liberal arts. I studied anthropology, and you studied uh, psychology. I guess it was at uh, Cornell, was it? Correct. And then uh, and then you knocked around for a while uh, in the fashion industry. Is That's that correct? Right. That's right. And that's I was it. at uh, Parsons for graduate school, and I worked at Calvin Klein. Design. So that's interesting. So that you bring sort of an aesthetic sense to uh, breast cancer surgery because you know you're you're obviously familiar with the female form uh, and how uh, <laughs> the contours of the female body are expressed in fashion, and um, I think that that's an interesting perspective. And then you decided, hey. I really want to go to med school. So you and I both uh, took some uh, additional science courses at Columbia right. General Studies. I think you, uh, I preceded you by quite a few years. And then uh, the rest is history. You went on to a great career in med school and in your medical training. Uh, I believe you trained here in New York at uh, Columbia Presbyterian. Is that correct? Uh, at Cornell. I oh, think. Cornell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, equally prestigious. And then uh, now you've embarked in, on private practice here in New York. Uh, so it, let me just ask you this. You know, how do you determine which, which breast surgery is optimal for women? Uh, and do you ever discourage or refuse uh, a certain type of surgical intervention? You know, say a woman comes in and says, you know, uh, I want to be a, a 44 double D. And you say, you know, I'm, I'm just not thinking that's going to work out well for you. How do you handle that? Uh the, the psychological ramifications of that. All right. 
So, well, that that's an interesting question, and you know, people do ask me that sometimes. They say, "Have you ever had to refuse someone?" And you know, I don't really know that it's refusing as opposed to guiding. One of my roles is to use what I know about surgery and what I understand about interpreting a patient and their body and their tissue type to sort of let them know what I think is going to work out for them. Um, an interesting phenomenon that I have observed because I have you know, multiple colleagues in, in New York and other surgeons who I've, I've worked with and seen their practices, I think patients tend to find overall the surgeon that they belong with. It's, it's not the same surgeon who's right for everybody. And I always say you really have to get a sense of who your surgeon is and understand if you're compatible. It's almost like dating in a very strange way. Mm -hmm. You have to share the same sort of value system and the same goals, the same aesthetic vision. You have to sort of belong together. If somebody has a very different aesthetic vision than you do, it's going to be difficult for them to give you something that you're going to be happy with because they're going to give you what they think looks great and it might not be what you think looks great. So fortunately, I tend to attract the right kind of patient for me most of the time. And the, my typical patient is, you know, a very highly active, very uh, city type of, of woman. It's usually a, a mother who has several children who also works full time. You, you don't cater to the porn time. industry, you know, um, not to, uh, to uh, Hooters waitresses necessarily. I mean, they can come if they, they want, but that's not typical right. profile. That's not the typical profile of my patient. Yeah. So, right. And I think, and I think it's, it's very interesting how that tends, tends to happen. A lot of my patients want a very natural look. They want something that goes a little bit undercover. They want to still look very elegant in a gown. They want to still look at work like maybe you couldn't even know that something happened unless they really decided to wear something that shows it. So that's sort of my typical patient. So I don't have a lot of those conversations, but every once in a while that does happen. And somebody asks for something that I don't think is going to be great for them. And my job is to explain to them why, not just to mm -hmm. say, no, mm -hmm. I won't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that most of the time, if they understand the rationale, we can usually get to a place where we can do something that's going to make them happy. And in the end, maybe happier than they would have been with what they thought they wanted initially. Mm -hmm. um, but fortunately, that's not, that's not often a problem. You know, another issue around that is, you know, at what age uh, do patients become eligible for breast implants? Do you often get uh, anxious mothers bringing in their 15-year-old uh, daughters uh, who are concerned about uh, uh, inadequate breast development uh, and, you know, how the cleavage is going to look on their uh, prom gown? Uh, and maybe you feel it's a little push in the envelope in terms of undergoing that type of surgery at a young age? So, oh, well, that, that, so that there's a couple parts to that question. So, you know, the, the first thing is that we live in an age of unbelievable bras. Um, okay. so there's a lot you can do. I, you studied that at Parsons, I presume. Right. I did. I right. did. And I can tell you. That was you the that. engineering course. That's correct. <laughs> the, the orthopedic slash engineering course of bras. Um, so that, that's one thing. And, you know, the younger women who come in with their, with their mothers, it tends to be for either of two reasons. It tends to be either because there's an actual developmental problem, meaning they're incredibly uneven or one mm -hmm. breast did not develop at all. Right, there is this issue of, of asymmetry, right? Correct. And, 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 that, you, and you, it's you, bad, it's hard to fix even with a great bra. Right. And, and so, there's this term symmetrizing. Symmetrizing, I'm sorry. Or right? symmetrizing, correct. Right, symmetrizing, mm -hmm. which is a 
which is actually, I mean, it's a natural phenomenon is that one side is bigger than the other or, you know, has a different, uh, you know, support structure. And, and that actually is a, a pretty concerning cosmetic uh, feature for women. So that can be addressed, right? Absolutely. And that can be, that can be emotionally disabling for a young woman. Yeah. And even participate in sports, doesn't want anyone to see what's going on. If it's bad enough that it can't even be corrected with, you know, the right kind of bra and some kind of prosthetic in the bra, it can really be an issue. So usually the younger women, it's either something that they're very uneven mm-hmm. or sometimes the young women who are extremely large, who just have breasts that are so big that they can't yep. exercise effectively. They can't participate in sports teams. They can barely stand up straight because of the weight. Yep. And also they're getting a tremendous amount of unwanted attention yes. out yes. of the size of their breasts, yeah. both from women and from men. Which is extremely, you know, you might think, well, well from a male chauvinist standpoint it's like hey you know what's the problem but hey this is a tremendous burden for young women uh, sometimes correct. who are uh shall we say precocious in that regard right and uh and also it's just, it's an orthopedic uh, burden because uh you know when you attempt to exercise uh it's a very limiting fact so there's the opposite of breast augmentation there's uh some right. of the surgery you perform is breast reduction tell us about that so breast reduction is a, a life-changing surgery for these women. It's you know, Some of my happiest patients are my breast reduction patients. There is a sort of threshold point where there's just so much weight pulling down that it becomes a disability. Neck pain, back pain, strain everywhere. I hear stories from women who tell me they have to put three different bras on top of each other to go for a jog and it still doesn't oh, work. Goodness. Yeah. Um, it's, they're wearing clothes that are three sizes too big because nothing else fits. It also gives you the appearance that you're much heavier set than you mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. It gives you the appearance that you're older than you are. And just overall, it becomes difficult to wear any kind of clothes. You know, it's not just about a bathing suit. So it's, it's a real problem. And, you know, if done right and you get put back into balance, everything changes. You get these young women who all of a sudden can exercise, they can go for a jog and they can enjoy it. Um, there's even women who are not even that young, but of any age who, you know, trying to lose that extra five, 10 pounds, but they can't move effectively. And then all of a sudden they just, they're walking differently. They're taking the stairs, everything changes. And now they drop the weight they wanted to drop and they're fitting into better clothes. And, you know, your, your self your self-confidence changes entirely Everything you do in a day would be affected. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you were walking around with two 10 pound bags hanging around your neck all the time, you'd be li- leading a different life as well. I, I can't even imagine it because when I carry 10 pounds of laundry, it's like I'm huffing and puffing. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is hanging around your, hanging around your neck literally. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, breast reduction is a, is a phenomenal pr- procedure. Um, you know, there's different techniques for it. I, have this fairly streamlined. I do a lot of them. I think it's really important to use a technique where things will stay up over time and not mm-hmm. just, it's not just a question of making them smaller and lighter. It's also to remember the aesthetics and remember the balance and remember the dynamics of the breast. And one of the ironies of breast reduction is the larger the breast is, the less chance there is that the breast is where you want it to be. Meaning a lot of these women have a huge amount of volume, but it's all hanging all the way down yep. and none of it is actually where they want it. Gravity so, effect, yeah. Right. If you can rearrange things and put it back where it belongs in addition to making things lighter and smaller and perkier and more youthful, you can really have a long-lasting, tremendous effect and a really, really happy patient. And apropos of that, uh, breast uh, uh, reduction 
is actually a popular surgery for men because uh, men have this phenomenon called gynecomastia, right? Correct. So uh, gynecomastia essentially means that when a male has a breast that has more of a female breast appearance than a male pecs appearance. Um, and that can be in a couple of different ways. So you can either have just extra fatty tissue. You could actually have the gland that's, you know, overgrew a little bit. You can have extra skin that causes things to sag a bit because a sagging breast is something you'd see more on a woman than a man. So you really have to sort of tease apart what exactly the problem is, but they can all be addressed. Um, and this is also something that can be very emotionally relevant for mm -hmm. young men, for teenage boys in particular. It's even the subject of an episode of uh, Seinfeld, the... Uh Man bro was uh, a coined term by uh, <laughs> the bro, exactly. Right, the bro. Uh, yeah, so this is it's it's a big deal, you know. And this is also you can imagine, you know, a thirteen-year-old boy who you know, has to change his shirt in you know baseball practice, and it, it can be disabling in that capacity as well. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of reasons why that can happen. So some of it is just hormonal shifts. There are some young men for whom it happens during puberty, and then it actually goes away, but mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. period of time, it's miserable for them. Um, there are certain medications that men can take mm -hmm. at all yeah. ages that might like, that might do that. There's actually like anastrozole and things like that. Right. The list of medication just keeps growing and growing in terms mm -hmm. of gynecomastia as a potential side effect. Um, and then sometimes, you know, just having... Well, medications can cause gynecomastia. Well, there, there are a lot of different ones. There are some different uh, diuretic medications. Yep. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, uh, blood pressure medications. Mm -hmm. There's There's... Such a tremendously long list. Um, it's actually a little amazing when you look it up. You say, wow, that's almost everything hmm. I can imagine is in the pharmacy. Um, and then yeah. the other thing is recreational drugs as well can cause gynecomastia, and marijuana is one of the most common. Hmm. Wow, okay. So, well, uh, that's another knock on uh, marijuana for teenagers, I guess. Um, <laughs> so what about uh, scarring? Uh, scarring is a big problem in, in surgery. And, right. you know, it's less of a problem, I guess, if you have, uh, you know, your gallbladder taken out. Uh, but in this area of the body, you're really desirous of a, a perfect cosmetic result. So how do you deal with the issue? And especially since certain uh, individuals, certain uh, races, certain uh, ethnic groups, uh, by virtue of genetics, are more prone to scarring. Right. So scars are, are sort of the bane of surgicals, surgical existence. Um I always say that you have to weigh the pros and cons and then decide if it's worth operating. And one of the ways in which you do that is with considering scarring. So if the scar is going to bother you more than the problem bothers you, you shouldn't have the operation. Mm -hmm. And this is relevant to different degrees and different procedures because some things tend to make worse scars than others. Mm -hmm. Even on the same person, certain skin will scar worse. Things mm -hmm. on the back will always turn out worse than things that are on the abdomen, on the mm -hmm. belly. Mm -hmm. Things on the face usually heal really well, which mm -hmm. is how we, how we can get away Fortunately. with it. Like yeah. facelifts and exactly. We, we can do that because the face tends to heal really well. The breast lies somewhere in between. Most of the time it heals very well. That's not the case for everyone. But you have to weigh that as usual. So if you are doing a very small procedure and you're just paralyzed by the concept of a scar or any kind of scar, maybe it's not worth it for you. Um, if you're going to have this life change with a breast reduction, most women, when I start talking to them, you're going to have a scar around the nipple and you'll have a scar over here and over there. They look at me and they say, I, I don't care. I could describe mm -hmm. 10 times worse scars and they'd be fine with it because the problem is so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. 
that the scars are secondary. And I suppose so, that they're they're working for looking for the holy grail of some sort of uh, anti-scarring uh, compound or some uh, treatment that will reduce the uh, burden of surgical scarring. So far, they have made many attempts, but they haven't really had a breakthrough. Well, so the interesting because this now comes back around. Interestingly enough, one of the things that helps the most with scarring is silicone gel. So mm-hmm. here we are back to silicone again. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that is a that is a real thing. So that there's there aren't many things that do a lot in terms of scarring. Most of how you scar is you how you are genetically and just mm-hmm. your ability to heal. Some of it is how well the wound was repaired, how nicely it's sewn and how little tension is kept off of it. And past that, it's really the sun is the enemy of a good scar mm-hmm. and silicone is your friend. So okay. a lot of these silicone gels and strips are actually very helpful and avoiding excess sun is very, very important. And beyond that, there's not much that does much. You know, you have to give it time, let it heal completely, and then hope it turns out well. Um, the the one big mythbuster thing is that everyone always believes that putting vitamin E in high concentrations yeah, that's is popular. everything. Yeah. And it's actually not great, and in very high concentrations, causes a lot of inflammation. So mm-hmm. I actually discourage the vitamin E, and that's something that most people uh, yeah. don't realize. You want to break open a capsule and e put in. the vitamin E on directly on the scar. And, right. Uh, Okay. And I always have to warn them not to. So so here's a, a question. In, in breast reconstruction after mm-hmm. breast cancer, which is common, you know, actually sometimes done right at the time of breast cancer surgery, they do the uh, reconstruction immediately. I don't know if you do that type of surgery, but I certainly yes. you've, you've witnessed that. Um, does it hide cancer? Is there the potential that, well, you know, uh, if I put in a an implant that, uh, a subsequent cancer won't be detected as readily. Well, so uh, when you're doing a reconstruction, you're putting an implant in because the breast was already removed. So the breast tissue should all be gone. You have a clean margin, um, in other words. So that's correct. the term. Yeah. So, right. So you shouldn't have um, a residual breast tissue that's left behind that would mm-hmm. then potentially cause another cancer. Mm-hmm. That being said... We know that recurrences can happen even outside the breast. In the chest wall, for example. Um, Right, in the chest wall or even in parts of the skin. But usually once the breast is out, you know, that you've controlled for at least the breast tissue itself. And anyone who's had a diagnosis of cancer is going to be followed by their oncologist. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be monitored and they're going to be imaged and examined over time on whatever program is appropriate for them. But but um, the, uh, the the, the and, implant itself, is it's transparent to the imaging. In other words, it won't uh, conceal or hide anything. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. And especially in this day and age, there are so many women with so many implants for different reasons. The radiologists are very familiar with them, and the imaging technology is, is very, very tuned in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's usually not an issue. What about when it comes to uh, breastfeeding? You know, say a woman at the age of uh, 22 decides to have uh, breast augmentation. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, later on she gets married and desirous of having kids. Uh, does breast augmentation or, or alternatively breast reduction, does it does it change the, the potential for breastfeeding? So breastfeeding is a very interesting thing. It's sort of this strange animal. Um, and you know, you, you won't know if you can breastfeed unless you try. So that's another thing that you can't really test for. Well, that's a, a uh, generality. I mean, you don't know with right. or without implants. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we don't, we, most of the data we have on this 
describes the percentage of women who can breastfeed who've never had breast surgery and the percentage of women who can breastfeed who've had breast surgery. And, and in general, the, per, the percentages are not all that different, um, which doesn't mean that the surgery doesn't affect it. Um, a lot of it also depends on how much you uh, operate on the nipple itself because that's where all the ducts converge together. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, if you're doing a breast augmentation, if you're not doing surgery right through the nipple itself, you're essentially not, you're not interrupting the milk breast. ducts. You're not disrupting the breast in any way. You're, mm -hmm. you're staying out of it completely. The implant's mm -hmm. just going underneath the breast or underneath the muscle, mm -hmm. and you're not even getting involved in that. So that should be relatively irrelevant. In terms of breast reduction, it's a little bit different because you're really rearranging the tissue and you are cutting around the nipple. So you would imagine that it's going to probably affect things at least to some degree, uh -huh. but there is definitely not an understanding globally that if you've had a breast reduction, all bets are off. You're never going to breastfeed. Right. So, you know, when I speak to patients about it, I always tell them, you know, if breastfeeding is the most important thing in the world to you, mm -hmm. then you probably shouldn't have breast surgery until you do so. Mm -hmm. because you don't want to do anything to decrease your chances. So, so it, is, um, it is a relevant consideration. It's yeah. a relevant consideration, but it's not an yeah. ultimate contraindication yeah. to the surgery. So, so what if you, if you don't want, you know, you hear this bad news about breast implants and you're very holistic and you say, no way, no how, I don't care if it's saline, I don't, I don't want a foreign thing in my body. Mm -hmm. Are there alternatives for women who want to have uh, a cosmetic uh, breast procedure uh, without putting a, a foreign material into their body? Right. So there are so there are two there are two options, one of which I advocate much more than the other. Uh so one thing that has sort of taken on a lot of life in the last decade is uh, fat grafting, meaning taking some fat from the the belly and putting it in the breast. The problem with fat transfer in general is that we don't really know how to control fat as well as we would like to or or think we can. We we don't we're not that good at moving it around, keeping it alive, and getting it to last forever. Mm -hmm. So these are surgeries that very often don't have long long-standing results. Um, so you're doing so a you lot of so you get sort of like a like a pillowing effect or a cellulite effect or something. Well, you like put that. a bunch of fat in, and then some of it lives and some of it doesn't, yeah. and it takes some time to break down what didn't what didn't last. So right. initially you have this great effect, and then over time it kind of goes down. You put in a little bit more, and most of that goes away too, and you're just sort of chasing your tail. Mm -hmm. The other aspect with the fat grafting is that fat cells have stem cells in them, uh -huh. and uh, fat, fat has stem cells in them, yeah. and so we don't really know the answer to is it dangerous to put a stem cell in an active gland like the breast, mm -hmm. and we, we really don't know. For me, that's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable. I like a very controlled operation where I mm -hmm. sort of define the risk, and I don't like that aspect of it, and I don't like the fact that most of it's going to go away after a while, and so what did I do this for you know, I don't, in the first place? Um, so I'm not a huge fan of that. There are people who are, and there are patients who ask about it. The, the truth is we don't have a great, reliable means of doing it with a lasting effect that we know is absolutely safe. Um, the other option is there are a lot of women for whom what they really just need is a breast lift. Mm -hmm. They don't actually need all this extra volume. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why they might not know that is because traditional techniques for lifting are actually done almost like a small reduction where some tissue is taken out and then they will get told, well, you're going to need an implant to replace that. But if you are happy with the amount of volume you have, I see no reason to take any of it out. And going back to just knowing how to rearrange it and get it to stay up and gather everything together, you can get the effect of having had an augmentation. 
with by using just a rearrangement of your own breast tissue. Um, and that's that's called an auto augmentation, where you're basically using your own breast tissue as an implant and lifting everything together. And that can give amazing results in the right patient. And there's more patients than, than you'd think who are candidates for that. And so they get that fullness and the perkiness without having to have a foreign body implanted. Uh, when a woman comes in to see you, you know, like if I go to an architect, the architect will say, well, this is how your house is going to look like, or, you know, interior designer. Even with clothing, they now have uh, CAD-like programs that tell you how you're going to look. Can you do that with uh, with uh, breast surgery? Can you say, well, this is, this is you. We have a photo of you, you know, uh, without your blouse on. Uh, and we're going to sort of move the dial around and we can show you how you're going to end up looking. Is that something that's part of your approach? That is not usually part of my approach. It is something that does exist, and it is something that some surgeons offer. Uh, one of the, the things about breast surgery in particular that I find really interesting and that I enjoy about it is I, I always say it's a very uh, underestimated surgery, especially augmentation. So you would imagine it's pretty easy to make an incision and just throw an implant in, and that is pretty easy, but getting it just right is, is difficult. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to take into account. So the quality of the skin, the quality of the tissue, how much stretch or give there is, mm -hmm. um, you know, how things will respond once you actually fill out the, the volume, depending on whether or not they had children and what their skin is just like. So it's just a little a unrealistic of, to sort of pick a breast um, off the shelf, so to speak, and say, this is the breast right. I want. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, yeah. I'm definitely not an advocate of that. You know, if you, if you have the most beautiful woman in the most beautiful dress and they are not the same size, they're not going to look, they're not going to look good with each other. Mm -hmm. So um, the, in, but in terms of the imaging software, one of the things that I find a little limiting is, you know, taking this picture and having the computer's interpretation of what things are going to look like when you stretch it out is not necessarily how it's going to look. It could actually be very different than that. If this patient, for example, had four kids and breastfed all four of them right. and the skin has a certain kind of quality, mm -hmm. that computer is going to show you a larger firm version of what it might look like, mm -hmm. which I might look at that and say, there's no way it's yep. going to look that way. Yep. So it, I prefer, it can't account for texture. It can't account for the suspensory for ligaments of, and things like right. that. Yep. It can't account for the nuance that is mm -hmm. the whole part of why this is actually a more difficult surgery than you'd think. Mm -hmm. And so I prefer to use the pictures I have. Of so it's not like designing walls or putting design. furniture in a room or something like that. No, you, there's a lot of, you have to, there's a lot of interpretation. So mm -hmm. I prefer to look at the patient, see what kind of tissues they have, and mm -hmm. then find a patient in my practice that mm -hmm. I've already treated mm -hmm. that was similar. A comparable. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And then I can say, this is someone this is a comparable case, yeah. to do, and mm -hmm. this is how she turned out, and this gives you a fair idea of how mm -hmm. I think it's going to work for you. So okay. it has to be part of a conversation. Okay. Well, uh, if you want to learn more about uh, Dr. Sophie Bartzish, and you can go to her website and actually – uh, there are pictures there of some of her uh, work, um, as well as information about breast surgery. Uh, let's give out that website once again. It's Dr. Sophie B. Is that correct? No, just drsophie.com. Oh, drsophie.com. That makes it easier. It's S-O-P-H-I-E. And uh, she's located here in Manhattan. So thank you very much for uh, joining us. This is really most informative and a little bit of a departure from our usual uh, format, talking about uh, you know lifestyle and nutrition, and uh, but something very important because uh, this is an important life decision uh, that some women are faced with. And uh, in view of the news about uh, the breast implants now under federal review, 
Uh, I think your perspective is most welcome. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.